Welcome to another inspirational message from Hillsong Church, London. So it's been a couple of years for uh, myself and for Lucinda since we've been here with all of you in Hillsong, London. And it's just such an honor, such a privilege to be here. And we love Tim and Nicola. They are outstanding, amazing leaders. I know they're kind of stepping into a new role, but can we honor them? They're, they're brilliant. And uh, you are blessed to have them as your pastors. And we love Gary and Kathy and so grateful. Yeah, aren't they the best? So grateful for... You know, just just all that has happened to this point as far as our church and excited about the future. I'm so excited about this building in Golders Green, the Hippodrome. Isn't that exciting? I don't know why you'd call a building a Hippodrome. But anyway, that's what it is. But it looks incredible and what a stake in the ground it is for church. Hey, I know you're standing, so why don't we pray? Father God, we just thank you for the power of your word. And we ask that you'd speak to us today through your word. Lord, no matter who we are, no matter what our story may be, how we ended up here today, Lord, what we do know, what I know, is that you love everyone here in this place. And your word that we're gonna open up has wisdom, it has uh, hope, it has guidance. Uh, Lord, it's, it challenges us, but always for good reason, always from a place of love. And so we say our hearts are open. Speak to us today through your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You can be seated. As you're seated, just turn to someone next to you and just tell them you really, you look better than you did last week. I mean, you're just looking great. Have you been working out? You know, what's been going on? Uh, it's great to be here. I'm uh, Greetings from our church in Africa, Hillsong in Africa. Um, we started in Cape Town, South Africa 13 years ago, as Tim mentioned. Uh, we now have church locations across South Africa, and we have got started in Nairobi in Kenya. How cool is that? Uh, and we're getting started in Mauritius. That's right. Why wouldn't you if you could have church in Mauritius? That's our retirement plan. <laughs> and we're just, just, just getting started in Lagos, Nigeria. Wow. I know. That's like going to be amazing. And so keep all of that in your prayers we have a desire, what God has stirred in our heart is to build a church that's going to help build a nation and help build a continent. And so we are taking steps of faith to see that happen. Uh, we're in the formative stages also of establishing Hillsong College in Africa, uh, where we're going to train, we believe, the most amazing young African leaders uh, that are going to change the world. And so again, uh, this is all vision and we're just getting started. And so we need a lot of prayer, uh, a lot of encouragement with this because um, it is, you know, a big vision. But, you know, the thing about uh, the continent of Africa, you may understand this, I don't know, but it is the average age is like in their 20s. Uh, like it's a young population, growing population. There's something like a billion people 
across the continent of Africa, and that's going to grow to two billion. And so you've got this young population, uh, these young people, and it's like, guys, what are we going to do? You know, we've got to do something to link the incredible pot potential uh, in these young people with opportunity. And so as a church, we believe we can be right in the center of all of that and helping to, you know, build healthy church across the continent. Uh, and so we're just taking it a step at a time and uh, appreciate the, your prayers, like I say, and encouragement as we continue to cheer you guys on uh, in all God has called you to here in London and across the United Kingdom. My message today uh, is titled Switching Seats. Switching seats. So I, I have two chairs here, uh, just in case I get a bit tired. I thought, if you're sitting down, I may as well have a seat as well. Uh, and, and, and I'm going to refer to these today because uh, it, it, my title is Switching Seats, The Paradox of the Gospel of Grace. And I want to talk to you about a concept, this concept that the Bible speaks of called grace and I want to speak about it today in a way that I hope is going to help you maybe to understand it a little bit more. And why I describe it as a paradox is because uh, it is. This, this is how we uh, describe a paradox. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement or position which, when investigated, may prove to be well-founded or true. And the grace of the gospel the message of Jesus is one of those statements that does not appear to be like, how could that be true? And yet on investigation, it is. And that's why it's a paradox, because in many ways, it's completely contrary to the way of this world. Uh, the way this world works is that we earn people's favor, don't we? we? We kind of earn their affection. I and my wife celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary yesterday. Yes, that's, you, no, that deserves a better round of applause, particularly to my wife, 28 years of putting up with me. And, and let me tell you, uh, she has needed grace. Uh, for her life to deal with me and the way I have been over 28 years. And yet also in the process of time, I have, in fact, when she first said yes, I had to earn her affection. We know what that's about, don't we, young men? We have to earn the affection of the woman of our dreams. And I had to earn her affection um, in all sorts of ways. I did not have a very special car. I had a 1977 Toyota Corolla that was metallic green and it had a gold pinstripe. Let me tell you, it went faster with the pinstripe on the side. Um, and I, I, you know, was just a young guy, but somehow I managed to earn her affection. There were other suitors. In fact, there was a guy who had a BMW. And in those days, he had a car phone. I don't know if you remember when cars had phones in them. This was a big, he was what they referred to as a yuppie. Do anyone remember what a yuppie? Three people are laughing. Anyway, somehow I earned her affection. But the gospel of grace is different because we can't earn it. 
And this is a strange concept for us, particularly in a world that we live in today, which is really all about earning things. We, we deserve certain things or we don't deserve them. And yet the way God works through grace is that, you know what, you don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And this is strange. And so we're going to consider this. In fact, let's start. We're going to read Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 in the New Living Translation. Now, there's a few verses here, all right? So I hope you can stay with me. And then we're going to look at what they mean. But sometimes if we read through a little bit of the Bible, it actually helps us a whole lot. Uh, so, you know, here we go together. It's going to come up on the screen. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Isn't that a fantastic start? So encouraging. Thank you, Phil. Sunday morning, you've encouraged us already. You were dead. Because of your disobedience and your many sins. Verse two, you used to live in sin. You used to, uh, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Verse four is a good one. But God is so rich in mercy, He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Verse six, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace. Everyone say that, grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Verse eight, God saved you by his Say it a bit louder, grace, when you believed and you can't take credit for this, it is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. How beautiful is that? It starts off not so good. You were dead to sin, but then it goes on and describes how because of Jesus, you can't earn it, you don't deserve it, but you get to experience the goodness of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God in your life. How do I get to that place? How do I live in that place? What does that mean for me? Well, we read about this in the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You may be familiar with with those. Anyone read any of those? Give me a wave if you've read those. You may have read part of them. Now, they are not about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We know that. Who are they about? Correct answer. If you ever went to Sunday school, the right answer was always, well, pretty much 90%. I went to Sunday school. One time I got it wrong. I was not listening. I was not paying attention. And the Sunday school teacher, she pointed at me, Philip, you know, when they say your full name, you're in a lot of trouble. And she's like, what was the answer to the question? She's kind of breathing as she speaks. And you're like, this is going to be bad. And I just said, Jesus? And she said, no, Jesus did not betray himself. I got it wrong. It was 
Judas on that occasion. But anyway, most of the time, and in this occasion, Jesus is the right answer. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are not about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are all about Jesus, but they are, as the story is told, from the perspective of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Put it simply, the gospel is not the gospel of Mark. It is the gospel of Jesus written by Mark. Now, we need to understand this because here's how how I want to set things up. And I think on the screen, we're going to put something here uh, to help us out. Is that on one side, we could have the gospel of you. Now, gospel means good news. Okay, the good news. And, and on one side, we have this chair here, which is like the gospel of you. The, the good news that you bring, the good news that Mark would bring if Mark talked about himself. Or the good news that Tim Douglas would bring if Tim talked about himself. Now, it's going to be a little bit of good news. But it's not going to be world-changing good news. Every now and again, you can bring some good news to people, but every now and again, you get a little bit overwhelmed. Do you know what I'm talking about? We, so, so you can have the gospel of you over here, but then over here, there's another chair, which is not the gospel of you and your story, but you fit into it. It's the gospel of grace. It's the story of Jesus and how you and I, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, fit into his story. And I wanna sit here. But what happens is a lot of times I kind of find myself sitting over here living my life and it's all kind of about me uh, with kind of Jesus and the grace message over there. And I go to it occasionally, but I spend a lot of time over here where I'm trying to make it work myself. I'm trying to figure it out myself. And, And this is where I think a lot of anxiety, a lot of worry, A lot of stress comes into our world because we're living from this place of feeling like I've got to make it happen myself. I've got to be good enough for this world. I've got to be accepted by everybody. I've got to prove myself. I've got to overcome all of these different things that we faced with and and deal with in life. And we're sitting from this chair, the gospel of you. How can I be good enough? But the gospel of grace is a totally different place, a totally different experience because it's sitting in a different chair and it's seeing things from a different perspective. Over here, I'm looking at life from a perspective of Jesus and what he's done. And that changes everything. Now, In order to understand this, it is, and I'm going to be clear with you because I think sometimes we gloss over it, but it is like learning a new language, the gospel of grace, because it's totally different from the way this world is and everything about the thinking of this world. It's a new language. Now, we moved from Sydney, Australia to Cape Town, South Africa 13 years ago, and I had to learn some differences of language. There's actually 11 uh, um, official languages in South Africa. I mean, 11. You go to the ATM, you've got 11 choices just of language. Sometimes I think I'll just press one, see what happens. But there's different, and then there's language and things are described differently. You may have been to, uh, you may not be from the UK, you may be from somewhere else and you come here and people speak a certain way and you're trying to work out what it is they're talking about. 
So in South Africa, I'd ask someone, uh, can you tell me where that is? And they'd say, well, you go down the road uh, past the third set of robots. Robots. And you turn left, it's lacquer. I'm like, what are robots? No, but in South Africa, traffic lights are called robots. I don't know why. I was like, you know, they start talking about robots, but you've got to say with the rolling of the tongue, robots. And it's a new, and I'm like, what, what? No, they're traffic lights. No, they're robots. I'm like, I think we have a country of robots. Are they coming to attack us? I'm not sure. And then another thing about South Africa is there's, there's language about when you're going to meet someone. So uh, in South Africa, they'll say things, well, I'm going to meet you now, now. Okay, South Africans will know what I'm talking about. Now, now is different from I'm going to meet you just now. Like they're all different times and people know, but I don't know. When's just now, when's now, now, and when's right now? Are they, I mean, are we 15 minutes, 30? I don't know. It's a whole new language. And see, the gospel of grace is actually a new language from the gospel of you and the gospel of this world, if you will, the news of this world that brings to us. And we've got to learn to get familiar with this new language if we're going to allow it to have any effect on our lives. So Paul writes to the Ephesians, this passage that we just read, trying to help them to understand. This good news is not just about some guy named Jesus who lived a, a number of years ago and what he did and, and how amazing it is. And isn't that a great story? No, it's actually something you, that affects your life. It affects you. It's, it, it, it's not just a story. It's a, I can sit in this and have a completely different perspective on how I view the world. On, on, on how I view myself, on, on everything, if I choose to sit in the seat of the gospel of grace and what Jesus has done. This, this is a new language. It's completely changed everything. Now, for some people, actually, it can be really hard. Um, a little while ago, in the middle of uh, this kind of COVID season. Let me tell you, traveling, if any of you have traveled now with COVID, isn't there like you just have to bring an extra backpack for all the paperwork you take with you? I have never had so many things shoved up my nose as I have. You know, you travel somewhere, up, oh, got to get another thing, stick it up your nose, and you got to get somewhere else, stick it up your nose. I mean, it's just crazy, all the things that you have to do if you want to travel anywhere anymore. Well, we ended up uh, a little while ago in Mexico, and we were traveling uh, with my daughter, Abby, to the USA, to Miami, where my other daughter was doing an internship, and we had a few extra days. We thought, we'll just go there and see her. This will be a great thing. Well, we ended up arriving at Miami airport, massive long lines. Finally, we get to the front of the customs line. We are literally, the guy gets out of his customs office a little uh, pod, comes around behind us and puts the kind of chain thing across to say, I'm not seeing anyone else. We're like, yes, we've made it. We get to the front of the line, he looks at us. We have Australian passports, we've been living in South Africa, we've been in Mexico, we wanna go to the USA. 
in the middle of COVID. He looks at all of this and he just writes something on a yellow card. I don't know what he writes. He just writes something on a yellow card. He puts it in a little slot and he says, someone is going to deal with you. I don't know if you've ever been to America and you're in customs. You don't want someone telling you someone's going to deal with you. Anyway, we're like, oh, okay. And he just closes up and leaves. And he's obviously seen a whole lot of people and done all of that. So we're just waiting. We're waiting and waiting. And finally, another person comes along, picks the tag and, and just says, come with me. And they don't smile, do they? It's not like, let's have a little joke together. Hey, how are you guys? Where are you from? Isn't that lovely? No, it's none of that. It's like, come with me. Okay. And so we do, and we go around, and then we're in another room, and then they look at everything, and then they get our passports, and they go, okay, when did you arrive? When did you leave? How long are you here? And we said that, and they went, oh, no problem. Through you go. And then I managed to see the little yellow card that the guy had, and he'd written on, and I looked at it, and all it had, all he had written on it, this is all he'd written on it, was too hard. (laughs) Too hard. He literally, he'd had enough. An Australian living in South Africa, having been to Mexico, wanting to go to the USA, this is too hard. I'm going home, I'm having a Starbucks and I'm getting on with my life and someone else can figure out their problem. Here's the thing, when we went to someone else who was not dealing with all the lines but literally could see all the details and asked us one or two questions and everything was fine, no problem. They had a completely different perspective and we were actually fine. But to this guy, it was too hard. But to this other person, it was no problem at all. Off you go, you have a great time. You've sorted everything out. You need to sort out. Enjoy the USA. God bless America. This is what it can be like with the gospel. For someone, they can read through it, look at it all and go, no, that is too hard. Where I've been, what I've done, this behavior, that behavior, no, that is too hard. Somebody else can look at it and go, oh, okay, I get it. It's actually not about any of that. It's about Jesus and I understand him and what he's done for me. And guess what? I can walk in freedom because of Jesus, not because of all the too hard. Because if you look at all of you, there's a whole lot of too hard over in you. But when you look at Jesus, there's actually a whole lot of freedom that I can walk in relationship with God, not because of me, but because of Him, the gospel of grace. So here we go, just a couple of thoughts here. The more I understand the gospel of grace, the more I want to switch seats. The more I want to switch seats. See, Uh, As I was preparing this, I'm thinking about the fact that my actions, and and this is how we live, and it it may come up on the screen, my actions, my behaviours equal certain outcomes, don't they? So like if I'm nice to people, then they're going to be nice back, and that's great. You know, I mean, the Bible kind of talks about that with sowing and reaping, but there's also this grace element that has nothing to do with that. But so often that's where we live. We live in this, my actions deserve this behavior. So if I'm ever driving 
and I'm a good driver and I let someone in and I'm courteous and they give me a little wave and maybe they put the little hazards on to say, thank you, you know, the little hazard polite moment. It's wonderful. I only first saw that in South Africa. They love it in South Africa. Hazards are on all the time, just polite to everybody. Occasionally though, you know, someone doesn't let you in. Someone gets mad. Someone like, um, you know, I, I remember a time a little while ago, I was on my way to church, had the kids uh, in the car and this guy just sweeps in front of me and I'm like, what is he doing? And then literally sweeps in front of me and then he, he, I'm looking and then he gives me the salute. You know what the salute is? Like it's one finger. It's not saying you're number one. He gives me the salute kind of, and, and my kids see it. And I'm like getting mad and my, my, my kids are like, Dad, did, did that guy just give you the bird? I'm like, yes, yes, he did. Like I'm on my way to church. I'm the pastor, I'm on my way to church, but I'm ready to burn this guy's car down. <laughs> and my, my kids, one of them, it's like she was sitting in the grace seat. I was sitting in the you seat because I was ready to take this guy on. But she's like, you know what, Dad, we just need to pray for him. We just need to pray for him because obviously he doesn't know God and he's very upset right now. And I said, that's exactly what I was thinking. Let's pray for him right now. <laughs> this is how the gospel of grace, because over here I'm like, man, I'm like, if they behave well, I'm gonna behave nicely back. But God doesn't work like that. Even if I behave badly, God still has a way of behaving nicely and lovingly and graciously to me. This is overwhelming. It is completely different from the language of the world in which I live. And the more I understand grace, the more I want to switch seats. See, ultimately, the gospel is God's actions and behaviors cancels out my actions and behaviors to give a favorable, undeserved response. It's, it's not about, it's about Jesus canceling out what I've done. Now, some of you are thinking, yes, but what about when I've been living really badly and, and, and I'm like, I don't know what to do and so what I've done is I've like got down on my knees and I've said and prayed, God, if you just get me out of this one, anyone ever prayed that prayer? Like if you just get me out of this one, God, I will serve you. For I'll go wherever you want me to go. Lord, I will pray. God, God, I will do whatever. Just, just get me out of this one, God and I'll serve you. Uh, that is called trying to manipulate God. <laughs> and it doesn't work. Now, I know people who will say, I actually prayed that prayer and it did work. Chris Mendez, who's our pastor uh, for Latin America, who's awesome, talks about getting down on his knees in a bad, bad way and basically praying a prayer like that. But here's the thing, it's not God that changes, it's you that changes. 
all right? When you're sincere and you pray a prayer like that, it's not about manipulating God and saying, please, God, can you rearrange everything? Because I've messed up really badly and I just need you to sort it all out for me. God's kind of saying, you know what? I've already changed everything. And if you would just get up from that prayer and sit over here in this chair, then everything would start to change in the way you see yourself, this world, and your life. See, when Chris prayed a prayer like that, when you prayed a prayer like that, and you said, God, get me out of this thing, and you're thinking, I can manipulate God, God's going, no, it doesn't work. You don't need to. You don't need to manipulate God. You just simply need to say, actually, I just need to be aware and understand more and more what Jesus has done for me. So the question is, why would God do that? Really, I suppose it's a great question, isn't it? It's like, well, why would God do that? And the only answer I can come up with is that God is so loving that He does it despite of us. In fact, the love that God has for us is beyond what my mind can fully understand. It is an unconditional love. Now, again, we live in a world of conditions. We live in a world of earning things. And God says, I love you despite any of that. In 1 John 4, 8, it says this, whoever does not know God, sorry, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. So God's love is so intense, so deep, so beyond my ability to fully comprehend it. Uh, And that is why God loves you and loves me. And He set this thing up in a way that is so contrary to my desire to behave my way into heaven or behave my way into some level of success. And God says, no, I just really love you deeply, like in a way you probably won't understand until you meet God. But He says, I love you that dearly and that deeply that I set up this grace. I set it up for you so that you can just rest in it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to kind of be doing all the right things for God to love you. God goes, I I love you. I just love you. I love you as you are. Don't necessarily, uh, you know, God is a God who loves us. Uh, Maybe he's, He's not loving what we're doing, but He loves us. And all He wants is to take us on the journey of knowing Him and walking in the plan He has for our lives. See, here's the second thought is the gospel of grace has room for my mistakes. So again, when I'm over here, what happens is I'm like, well, God, I've messed up. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, some of us are really hard on ourselves, aren't we? we? We get so hard on ourselves, we think, God could never love me. You don't know my story. We, you know, write the too hard. It's just too difficult. But God has room for our mistakes. In Ephesians 2, we read this, verse 3, it says, We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing. This is in the message paraphrase translation. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. See, when you 
get honest with God about your failures and your mistakes, it's, it's really quite vulnerable. A lot of times, what do we do? We wanna put on our best kind of behavior and best attitude and kind of best, you know, try and do our best. God, here I am, I'm looking pretty good today. And God like sees all of it, sees the good, the bad. And even when you do your best and your best is not good at all. And you know how when you do that, you think, man, I just don't know if God would accept me like I really tried and I still failed, still messed up, still made mistakes, still got angry, still did this, still did this. I don't know whether I'm good enough for this Christianity thing. It's not, again, about your behavior. It's about Jesus. So this, again, is quite complex and quite confusing for us because sometimes we think, well, I've got to strive to do my best for God. It's good to do your best for God. I want to do my best for God. But God loves me whether my best is really good or my best isn't that good. Like the time my daughter came home from school, Abby, she's actually here today, and uh, she had a school project. And as a parent, uh, you know, sometimes the projects are more about you uh, than they are about your kids. Does anyone kind of know what I'm talking about? You take on the burden of the project. You want it to be a great project. You own the project. You Google how to make something. You go down to the hardware store. You get everything and it becomes your project. And if you don't get a good enough mark, you want to go to the teacher and say, I worked really hard on that. And we had to make a clock. That was the project. Now, I thought to make a clock like was just a simple thing, like just some paper, some cardboard, you know, little hands made out of, you know, paddle pop sticks, like simple. Okay, so we made this thing. It was quite flimsy. It wasn't really that impressive, but it, it was a clock. It, it looked like a clock, and it didn't really tell the time. Well, twice a day it told the time, but it just, anyway. Um, and I remember taking Abby to school with the clock that we'd made, and as we arrived, there were other kids with their parents arriving with clocks. These look like, like, I mean, you know, some of them look like, you know, the grandfather clock that was in your grandparents' house. I mean, they were made out of wood. They were finely crafted. They had, they had mechanisms. They had metal hands. They actually told the time. Some of them had alarms on. They were painted. They were, honestly, you could sell these and make money. Our clock was like paper and cardboard and flimsy. And, and Abby's like looking at it and looking at all these other kids walking in with it. And I'm like, just go. You're going to be great. Go. It's wonderful. It looks awesome. Just go for it. No, they love it. Dad, I don't want to go in with this. Look, what have we done? Go, go. Great. Yeah, love you. We didn't get a very good mark for the clock. Here's the thing, you know, sometimes you put in your best, don't you? You're vulnerable, you give it your best, and you look back and you go, that was shocking. Some of you have done that in life, you know, and you're like, well, I, I don't think I'd just be good enough for God. And God's going, no, you know what? It's not about that. I think you're great. I think you're wonderful. I love you. And, and God has room for the mistakes that we make more than often we have room for the mistakes that we make. 
God is not looking at us the way we look at things. And that's why, again, there's this, it's simple, but it's complex because my mind keeps going back to this. I've got to be good enough for God. And God keeps coming back to, to this. No, you don't. I've already sorted it all out through Jesus. You just have to come to me with an open heart and start from that place and allow me to love you and allow me to speak into your life and allow me to show you what it means to be loved by your heavenly Father. See, number three, the gospel of grace says that my life is of value because God creates things of value. See, I don't work or behave to become more valuable. I am valuable because of the Creator. Uh, we went to the, uh, the, the art gallery um, just near here uh, and uh, had a wonderful time just this week. And, uh, you know, we, we went to, is it, what is it, the National Art? Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was, uh, there was um, Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo. I mean, most of the Ninja Turtles had artwork in there. It was incredible. Um, actually, you know, so many amazing art, uh, you know, artists. Um, I mean, it blows your mind to see, you know, Constable and... Uh, you know, all these incredible, Claude Monet and, and Van Gogh. And I, I love Van Gogh. Uh, you know, Van Gogh only sold one painting when he was alive. Did you know that? I mean, his, his artwork now is literally worth millions, if not billions. And, and he only sold one um, piece of art. Let's, let's have a look at one. We've got one just gonna come up on the screen, I think, Starry Night. Look at that. That beautiful Starry Night over the Rhone, painted in 1888. He was 33, and he said to his brother Theo, he 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 painted that to express hope by a handful of stars. He he battled with uh, with with you know mental illness and he struggled in many ways, but his paintings were a way of him, I think, to let that out. And this beautiful image of these stars bringing hope, isn't it beautiful? Uh, and then he also painted, some would be uh, familiar with some of his most famous work, would be uh, sunflowers. Um, and sunflowers wasn't just one painting. It's a series of paintings of, of sunflowers. And here's this beautiful uh, painting here uh, in this vase. And, and let me tell you what makes it so valuable. is isn't just that it's a beautiful piece of art that there on that vase, there's a name written. It says Vincent. Vincent signed it. And because he signed it, it is incredibly valuable. But can I say this about you? That I believe, according to God's Word, that God made you. And when God looks at you, He looks at you and He says, hey, I signed my name to that and it's beautiful. It's a masterpiece. It's magnificent. And I absolutely love it because I'm the creator and I don't make anything that is not of extreme value. That's how God sees you. And that's why he puts you and I and gives us this gospel of grace seat because we're made by him. And he signed his name and he said, you are amazing. 
You are beautiful. You are just incredible. And it's not because you earn your way into it. And it's not because you've done enough to make yourself good enough. But no, because right when He created you, He signed His name there and said, hey, you know what? This is mine. You are mine. And you are beautiful and precious. And I just see how wonderful you are. See, when I start to understand that, blows my mind. We live in this world that is trying so hard to be good enough for others in this world, for God, for all of this. And God's just saying, no, no, just sit down in this grace chair. Because in Ephesians 2.10, as we read, this is what it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. He created you for a beautiful purpose. He planned it. He loves it. He loves it when you sit in this grace chair because this is the place where from a spiritual perspective with Jesus, everything makes sense. But if I'm coming to church and I'm trying to live for God, but I'm over here trying to work it all up, trying to make it happen, trying to be good enough, God's saying, my goodness, you are striving. Just relax. Just rest. Just trust me. Just allow my love to fill your heart even in your mistakes, even in your failings, just rest in His grace. And as we conclude, in response to the gospel of grace, my life will bring value to others. See, if I don't see my value or any value in myself, it's very hard for me to see value in others. And if I'm over here and I'm trying to earn it, trying to do what's good enough and I'm judging myself and I'm judging everybody else, you know what? It just becomes a really hard place to be. But when I live in response to the gospel, not in reaction to this world, that's when everything changes. And as we conclude, let me read Romans 6 verse 1 in the message translation referring to this gospel of grace seat. Let me sit down and read it to you. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so that God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Well, didn't you realize we are left and and left that we left there for good. That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came out out of the water, we entered into the new country of new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. 
I, next one. They're not turning, but I will. Here we go. An end to the sin miserable life. No longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin conquering death, we also get included in His life saving resurrection. We know He was raised from the dead. It was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, He took sin down with Him, but alive, He brings God down to us. From now, uh, from now on, it is this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means not giving sin a vote in any way you conduct your lives. Don't give in at the time of day. Don't even run a little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. You've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're, no living, you're not living under that old tyrant any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. How beautiful is that? Can you stand? This is the end of this podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. For more information about Hillsong Church London, please visit hillsong.co.uk.